0: Welcome to the Katie Helper Show. So excited to be here with you. We have a great show for you today and I want to thank everyone who's already here. And of course, I want to urge people to give this stream a thumbs up, give it a like. Also, please subscribe to the stream if you haven't already. We have such exciting news. I want to thank everyone for subscribing because as of last week, we hit 100,000 subscribers. So very excited about that. We have, as usual... A great show for you today, and I love when we get to have two great guests talking about two really fascinating things, and that's what we're doing today. We're going to have Arnaud Bertrand talking to us about China, about the new Cold War, about xenophobia, or sinophobia, depending on how you pronounce it, and also the parallels between xenophobic imagery and anti-Semitic imagery. And then we're going to be talking to Lev Galinkin about the media's whitewashing of Ukrainians as Battalion, of, of course feel free to support the show again, just with a thumbs up and or by subscribing, but you can also become Patreon supporters. We are releasing shortly that great live event that I did with Brianna Joy Gray. The quality was so good that we were delayed a little bit because of editing tech issues, which Brad can explain later on in the show if needed, but that is on its way. You'll be able to access that at patreon.com slash the Katie helper show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie helper show. And in order to see this night's full stream, if you're watching live, you'll see the whole thing. If you are watching this later, to see the full stream, go to patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Also, if you can support the show at the $5 level, that's how you get these great extra interviews, extended interviews, bonus content. If you can't afford that, you can still support the show at the $1 a month level. So that's like $12 a year. And we can't make the show without you guys. We really can't. So please do consider becoming Patreons at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. So we're just going to bring on our first guest. And we're so excited. He's making his Katie Helper Show debut. Arnaud Bertrand, or Arnaud Bertrand, is an entrepreneur and a social activist. He founded House Trip in 2008, which grew to become one of Europe's foremost tech startups and which he sold to TripAdvisor in 2016. He's now working on his second venture, me and Qi, or me and Qi, I'll have to ask him how to pronounce that. I realize, which helps people understand how traditional Chinese medicine can benefit them. Arno is a frequent commentator on China, advocating for a better understanding of the country and its people, as well as more friendly relationships between the West and China. So Arno, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Of course. Thank you so much for coming. First thing, how do I pronounce it?
1: Qi. It's Qi. It's like the energy in Chinese medicine.
0: She and me. Okay, got it. So, first of all, how did you become interested in China? And tell us about where you live and where you're actually joining us from.
1: So, I became interested in China. Like, all good stories started with a, a love story. Uh, so, I, uh, I met my current wife, uh, well, the woman who became my wife in 2006. We were studying together in, uh, in Switzerland. And um, I remember the, the exact moment, actually, when uh, I started rooting for China. Basically, it was um, uh, we were in Switzerland watching the uh, Olympic ceremony, you know, when it was in Beijing in 2008. And my wife started crying during that that ceremony. And she's not an emotional person at all. And at that moment... I realize the depth of uh, the feelings that Chinese people have for China, the, that the, the so-called humiliation that they felt during you know, the 150, 200 years when China was uh, colonized and so on, it, it's not just a political slogan, it's something that's deeply felt by, uh, by the chinese people, and that struck me, and since then i've been. Advocating for you know helping China develop and uh, grow back to being you know a country like all the others. Can you
0: set the scene for us about what is happening now between the West and China?
1: Sure. So uh, I mean, like everyone knows, China has developed uh, economically quite uh, quite substantially. Uh, by some measure, it's even its economy is even bigger than uh, than the US right now. If you look at uh, at it, GDP uh, PPP as, as you call it and I guess that um, that that uh, as implication for the, the world order uh, because uh, you know so far uh, the US had uh, had kind of a hegemonic position um, in uh, in 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 the world order and uh, with China becoming so powerful that's uh, that basically uh, questions that, especially in, uh, in Asia, um, and uh, I guess that the, the U.S. takes uh, offense uh, with that and, uh, and is trying to roll back and contain China so that it, it can maintain its, uh, its, its, its position of superiority, uh, at least in, in, in the Asia-Pacific region.
0: And what do you think of the West's attitude towards China, uh, especially with um, the Biden administration?
1: Um, I think the Biden administration is probably one of the worst uh, uh, ever when it comes to, to its relationship with uh, with China. Uh, and, um, and they're very hypo- hy- hypocritical about it. So they, 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 they keep, uh, I guess... Uh, you know let me give you one example for instance th- this recent uh, semiconductors uh, export controls where they um, they put together a very aggressive uh, measure to basically try to forbid china to import um, any of the more advanced type of uh, of semiconductors on you know all the experts who, who look at that say that that's a move to uh, Slow down or even arrest China's development because so much in the world right now, so much of the technological progress is based on semiconductors. You know, just uh, two days ago, you had Blinken in China saying uh, that uh, basically that has nothing to do with uh, to slow down Chinese development. It's uh, it's basically you know the way he presented it is almost a, a normal friendly measure <laughs> when it's uh, so so it's it's a lot of of this. Uh, you know, doing extremely aggressive moves also on Taiwan and so on, that they're simply not honest about that. They don't admit that, uh, that their policy is a policy of uh, containment, trying to start a new Cold War, trying to divide the world into blocks when that's, that's really what it is.
0: Right. So, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, he said, one of the important things for me to do on this trip was to disabuse our Chinese hosts of the notion that we are seeking to economically contain them. We're not. We are not about decoupling. We're about de-risking and, divers- and diversifying.
1: Exactly. That, that's exactly what I'm speaking about. Yeah. So uh, it's a lot of words, but then the deeds are in complete contradictions with, with the words. So the, the Chinese are actually quite insulted by that. It's, it's one thing to, uh, to do aggressive measure. It's uh, adding insult to injury when uh, on top of that you don't admit your, your measures are are aggressive.
0: And what is it you think that the Biden administration wants vis-a-vis China?
1: I think it simply wants to conserve its uh, its position in the world. Uh, it's, uh, it wants to conserve the American-led uh, world order, as simple as that. And uh, to be frank... I do understand uh, the US position. So much uh, relies on on, on that uh, on that supremacy. If you look at the dollar, for instance, uh, the the only reason why the dollar is the global reserve currency and that the US has this uh, what what the French President Valery Giscard d'Estaing used to call the. Uh, exorbitant privilege uh, is because they have that uh, that position and if they lose that position of, of supremacy then uh, that that will have um, a negative consequence for the US. So in a way the US is also a prisoner of its hegemony. They've put themselves in, in a situation where if they lose the hegemony then uh, then it will have uh, quite negative consequences for them. But uh, that's not fair to those other countries who say we want uh, a more democratic world order where you know uh, different civilizations, different mothers can coexist. We all have a similar voice. We, uh, we're all worthy of respect. Uh, we are equals. There is no nation above another. So that's the dynamic.
0: I wanted to also play a clip that has been getting a lot of attention. People are seeing this as some kind of declaration that Blinken made. Let's play this clip of Blinken.
2: Taiwan reiterated the long-standing U.S. One China policy. That policy has not changed. It's guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, three joint communiques, the six assurances. We do not support Taiwan independence. We remain opposed to any unilateral changes to the status quo by either side. We continue to expect the peaceful resolution of cross-strait differences.
0: So you have all these people commenting that China is, like, the U.S. is doing China's bidding, bought and paid for by China. He just embarrassed himself. He just submitted to China. What are your thoughts on not only that statement, but the reaction to it?
1: I mean, actually, the truth is is the exact contrary. So when he says that oh, one post- China policy has not changed, uh, it's factually changed because the the key, the, one of the core tenets of the, the One China policy was the so-called strategic ambiguity, where the U.S. had as a, a principle not to say they would or not uh, defend Taiwan in case of, uh, of war. And as, as we all know, Biden by now has four times said that uh, the U.S. will defend Taiwan. Also, you know, historically, all American troops had been withdrawn from Taiwan uh, when, when China and the U.S., established uh, diplomatic relations at the end of the, of the 70s. Now, very recently, I think one or two years ago, uh, U.S. troops are back on Taiwan. The U.S. sent 200 military trainers. So from China's standpoint, the way they read that comment by, by Blinken is, is, is just sheer hypocrisy. It's quite funny that uh, people then uh, on, on the U.S. side, I mean, some people, I guess, on the right in the U.S., I'm not sure who exactly is commenting that, so that's the U.S. submitting to China because it's it's completely uh, it's completely the, the the opposite. And as per not supporting Taiwan independence, which is I think the part of the statement that makes them uh, react the most. That also has been one of the coordinates of, uh, of U.S. policy for decades, and so it's no change at all. But again, it's only words. When you look at the fact, actually, just by Removing strategic ambiguity that is supporting Taiwan independence because Taiwan independence separatists, what they're much more encouraged to declare independence from China if they know that uh, you know whatever they do, the U.S. has their back and uh, you have the most powerful military in the world that that's going to protect them. Then, uh, if the U.S. says, uh, "Well, not just it, it depends." Uh, uh, Our protection depends on on the situation. So it's, uh, uh, in fact, they they are moving towards uh, more support, uh, at least tacit, for, for Taiwanese independence.
0: You actually tweeted a bunch of images demonstrating the similarities between xenophobia and anti Semitism. And we actually have some of those images. I was wondering if you could, we could show them. And you could kind of talk us through some of your findings. Was this one of the images?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that that's a common theme in in, in both uh, xenophobia and antisemitism: dehumanization, uh, comparing um, you know people to uh, to insects. On the theme of the infiltration, like their influence is everywhere; they've infiltrated infiltrated us. Uh, when uh, on, on or, 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 there that, that's, uh, thats very telling. It's—it's it's, you know the big aggressive Chinese dragon strangling the world, uh, and, and we used to uh, depict uh, you know uh, um, Jewish people as well uh, as well like that. Uh, the goal of world domination is also uh, is also a common common theme.
0: Right. So we have two images here. We have like a claw, right? We have an asser, it says It's from the Financial Times and it's sort of trying to challenge and has a, it like a dragon hand, right? And then on the right side, this is some kind of anti-Semitic cartoon and we see someone representing, I guess, Jews who also has wings and claws and a tail and is also around the globe.
1: Yeah. That's pretty scary. Or oh, the, the squid that has its uh, stunt around the world. So I think that, that there are a lot of uh, quite striking similarities, not only in the iconography. Uh, you know, that, yeah, that, that's to cover all covers of the, the, the famous anti-Semitic book, The, the Protocols of the uh, Elders of Zion, and Military Review, which is, uh, I think, uh, a U.S. Army official journal, uh, almost took the same iconography to illustrate a, a, a special edition of, uh, on China. So they have the serpent in both of those. Yeah. Yeah, there are strikingly a lot of very common themes uh, between uh between xenophobia and uh, anti anti-semitism. So yeah, uh, uh infiltration, duality, also that's uh that's a big one. Uh recently we had the head of the French foreign intelligence services saying, and I quote that every Chinese citizen is regarded by the Chinese as an activi- activable intelligence agent, uh, which, you know, of course, is also common anti-Semitic probes with Jews being seen as more to Israel than their own country. When the truth is that the Chinese, uh, all the Jews, of course, are, are human beings with free will uh, and aren't more activable than, uh, than anyone. Uh, and um yeah goal of world domination uh the whole uh, blaming covid on 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 the chinese uh which uh we actually had the same thing uh, during the bubonic plague uh, in europe when it was blamed on on the jews um then we have the whole uh, blood libel uh thing so which was a common theme in uh in anti semitism the Jews were accused of stealing christian blood on uh, stealing christian children on taking their blood or other atrocities um, as everyone knows we have a, a lot of uh, atrocity propaganda on, on china which is extraordinarily effective you you depict the people as committing atrocities to rile everyone up against them and then justify clamping down on them uh, uh, so, yeah, for the Chinese, we have, you know, organ harvesting, running slave labor, genociding the Uyghurs or the Tibetans. Uh, I even saw a story by Reuters uh, that's, uh, that was about the Chinese killing babies to make edible powder with their flesh. Like you have stuff like that. that that's, that's crazy. You also
0: saw, what, what was it, Adbusters? I just saw Adbusters. I, I shouldn't even say this because i I saw you retweeted this.
1: yeah they, they, they compared she to Hitler, right?
0: Yeah, they compared she to Hitler. what is what is that?
1: Yeah, that.
0: <laughs> I mean I'm sorry, that's not really a question. It's a bit of a a, a lead question, but um yeah, i'm I'm looking for their tweet, which was pretty embarrassing. And this is adbusters. These are people who used to do Margaret Kimberly had a great tweet about about them that I'm looking for right now. Okay, I found it. Brad, I'm going to send you a link, okay? So can you zoom in on that? So this is from Adbusters, and they used to do like, what, culture jamming? I don't even know how to describe what they did, but they used to think that they were really, they were into Occupy Wall Street, and they tweeted, years before Chamberlain caved to the Nazis, we knew where Hitler was going, knew the stakes, but we kept putting up with him because we wanted to do business with him. We just, have the, we just didn't have the guts to take him on until it was too late. The same thing is happening with Xi. And then they have in this weird font, I'm not sure what they're trying to suggest, the next Hitler, question mark. So, uh, and um, Margaret Kimberly, who's, I always love her takes, she tweeted that out and said, I used to have respect for this organization, but now they're comparing President Xi who is bringing peace to much of the world to Hitler. So what's your response to that? She he's just like Hitler. Comparison.
1: Yeah, I mean the, the the comparison is insane. It's completely historical. When you look at what China has done uh, uh, over the past four decades, uh, not only they've not started any war, uh, they haven't started they haven't even fired a single bullet abroad in four years. Uh, so to make the claim that uh, you know. Uh, they're, they're an aggressive power, uh, Hitler-like, is uh, is absolutely uh, demented. Or, um, you know, if you look at what they've done internally, they've, they've listed uh, hundreds of millions of people out of poverty, the biggest uh, improvement of living standards in, in, in the entire world history. Uh, so, I mean, it's literally absolutely nothing to do. And they're communists, they're not... <laughs> That, right. uh, extreme yeah. right. They were on yeah. the other yeah. side
0: in case they missed that. Yeah. It's so, it's very weird because, uh, I mean, Adbusters they define themselves just going back to the organization that tweeted this. They define themselves as a global network of activists, writers, artists, designers, tricksters, poets, philosophers, and punks. Our aim, Bolin win the planetary end game. Uh, and they, yeah, they published an article about, uh, about she, um, in fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, just share this article because I think it's kind of an interesting case study. Let's see, we've been here before. Let's see what they wrote. Okay, hold on a second. All right. We've been here before. Years before Chamberlain uh, paved into the Nazis, we knew where Hitler was going, aware of what was at stake, felt what was coming, yet we kept putting up with his ever escalating swipes I mean, is that like an understatement or what? Swipes? This isn't like Tinder. Okay. Indignities and arrogances. We just didn't have the guts to take him on until it was too late. Now the very same thing is happening with Xi Xi Jinping's China. We're appeasing him, tolerating his mounting pugnaciousness, compromising our values for economic favors, blindly following the same script that got us into World War II. Be warned, nothing short of an all-out meme war can avert World War III. If we can't heal our divisions, rally around our democratic values, if we can't come up with a better story to believe in than never-ending growth and consumers' distractions, if we can't look Xi Jinping in the eye and ask why he he is keeping vital information hidden from his people, why he is committing genocide in—wait, how do I pronounce that? Xinjiang. Xinjiang, yeah. Xinjiang. I can never pronounce that correctly. Why he is building artificial islands in the South China Sea and why he is slapping punitive sanctions on every nation that dares to challenge its predominance. If we can't meet might with ideological might, then halfway through the 21st century or much sooner, we'll wake up one fine morning, shake our heads and wonder why we're now vassals in a China-dominated slave state more horrifying than anything Orwell ever dreamed of.
1: Yeah, I mean... Uh... Is this a joke? You have actually there are several of the themes that we are speaking about during the conversation uh, on, on, on you know the comparison between anti-Semitism and xenophobia, and, and the big theme in that article is, is world domination. Uh, but uh, you know the, the the idea that China will want to uh, enslave the dominate the whole world and enslave us all, which is absolutely ridiculous. It's totally contrary uh, uh, to, to Chinese culture. Uh, You know, if if you look in, they have like uh, five thousand years of history. So we know a thing or two about China. And what they've always done historically is actually build walls: uh, the Great Wall of China, the Great Firewall of China, the uh, the the the, the sanitary wall during COVID to protect themselves and isolate themselves from uh, the rest of the world. They've never gone uh, abroad. They've never gone to uh, you know other countries uh, around the world trying to colonize them and so on. In their religion, uh, you know, you've never had uh, uh, missionaries, Chinese missionaries, going outside China trying to convert people to Taoism or, or you know, other Chinese religions. It's, it's totally not uh, not in the Chinese culture. And most serious observers agree on this. Like um, uh, Kissinger, for instance, in his book on China, he said. Uh, uh, you know, China never espoused the American notion of universalism to spread these values around the world. It's just not at all what, what China is about. They're, they're about trying to uh, pursue multipolarity and, um, and get le- legitimacy in the eyes of the world for their own system, but not impose it on on other countries.
0: It's really crazy. And these are people who have, like, some progressive stuff in their timeline about, like, Palestine... But they're, I mean, I, they're very confused. They're very confused, and we're here to help. That's really an insane thing. I mean, while I was reading, I'm like, am I going to get in trouble? Is this an actual parody? But it's not, because they're in, I, they're in the timeline calling people, um, you know, tankies who are criticizing them. So you also had, uh, very interestingly enough, you debated Adrian Zen's, There was a Harvard-hosted debate, and the debate was whether or not the Chinese system of government is better than the American system. We're going to get into the substance of that debate. But first, uh, can you tell us about who Adrian Zenz is?
1: Sure. So Adrian Zenz is a German um, researcher with uh, quotes around researcher. He works for the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation.
0: The victims
1: of, what is it, the victims of The Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. Memorial
0: Foundation, which is something Bill
1: Clinton started? Yes, I mean, it was set up by Congress uh, as basically an anti-communist propaganda shop. Uh, So, you know, (laughs) that informs a lot of uh, his research and his takes. Uh, And him personally and his organization are really at the origin of the... uh, Uyghur genocide claims uh, on the data uh, around it if, if, if it could be called that uh, and um, yeah is uh, I guess he's quite famous in China circles uh, for uh, for his data I think the the, the did actually a pretty good article uh, on, on this uh, on specifically one of his most important claims which is uh, one of the key key um, the key data to to justify the existence of genocide, uh, which is that uh, um, 80% in 2018, 80% of all net added IUD uh, intrauterine devices placements in China were performed in Xinjiang. Uh, um, you know, it's been that that specific uh, number has been repeated by a number of uh, you know uh, government officials, uh, newspaper, and so on understood as, uh, well, 80% of all IUDs that were placed in China that year were placed on women in Xinjiang. That, that's that's crazy. That proves that they're trying to uh, uh, you know, stop Uyghurs uh, uh, from uh, having children. Uh, but actually, that's an accounting trick. That's not what net added IUD means. When you calculate the actual number based on the same raw data that uh, Adrian Zenz uses, you find that... Uh, the number of IUDs placed on women uh, in China that were placed on women in Xinjiang that year was only eight percent. So, so literally an order of magnitude less. So he plays around with the data like that to push his his narrative, inventing new uh, numbers like net added IUD that uh, don't directly meaningless, but make it sound like there is something very. Uh, very troubling going on, and uh, on, on that's a big part of his uh, of his chick. He also
0: has some religious orientation, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, I think he's a he's a fairly religious man.
0: He's a, he's a born again.
1: I'm not quite sure, but
0: yeah, he is. Yeah, he says that. Okay. I think he yeah. feels like it's. He has said something about doing like something about God. He actually like gets into he says he's like led by he feels led by God and he has a book about he has a book about rapture the rapture so okay Yeah. yeah but and let's get into the substance of that debate can you talk about uh what you argued in this debate which is interesting I watched the debate I recommend it yeah
1: sure so uh it was a debate um um Basically, which system uh, is the better system, uh, the Chinese or the American, on um, delivering uh, liberty, um, prosperity, and stability uh, for their people? Um, and um, and there was a, a vote at the end, and quite incredibly, uh, I I, uh, I won the debate. Uh, Which is which is a tall order. uh, Winning a debate at Harvard University, arguing that the Chinese system is better at delivering liberty. (laughs) Uh, But I guess my my arguments uh, on this was that uh, in 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 the West we've uh, we've come to have a very um, you know somewhat skewed skewed understanding of uh, of liberty, where we view it as, uh, as 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 only individual liberty. When there is actually a broader understanding of uh, of of liberty. so um, for instance, one key initiative that the Chinese government has uh, has made is um, is is uh, is their anti-poverty drive, which is very. I've traveled all over China. Uh, literally, the whole population is extirpated from uh, uh, from um, from extreme poverty, um, and I argued in the debate that. Uh, that's actually an important measure of liberty. Who can argue that uh, you know poor people are free? Uh, when you're poor, you're literally a slave to your to your condition, uh, right? Uh, um, China, you can you can look at the data as the more than any other countries, especially the U.S. or France, uh, to, uh, uh, to 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 expropriate uh, people. Uh, or of poverty, or there is also freedom. Freedom from fear. Uh, China is a very safe country. Um, as a woman, you can walk anywhere in China uh, in the middle of the night wearing a miniskirt. You will never be annoyed. Uh, um, whereas that's not exactly the case in uh, in most uh, Western Western cities. So, so there are a number of. Uh, measures of liberty, where actually China fares a lot better uh, than, uh, than the West. Uh, but I guess my biggest point also in the debate is, uh, it comes back to what we were saying earlier, it's, uh, it doesn't quite make sense to compare both systems, because one system, uh, the American system, is u- universalist. So basically, they say we're a system for the whole world. We want to convert, uh, we think our system is is the best possible system, and we think all countries should uh, adopt it, whereas the Chinese system uh, specifically says, uh, uh, no, our our system is is very much uh, adapted to our own history, our own context. geopolitical context, economic context, and so on and so forth. And it wouldn't make any sense for any other country to, uh, to adopt our system. So th- the comparison is not, uh, is not uh, quite, um, doesn't quite make sense because there is literally no chance that any other country will adopt the Chinese system because it's so uniquely Chinese.
0: And what else do you think that people need to know about China, given how much xenophobia there is and ignorance about China? Exists.
1: I mean, there are so many things. So, China is. I've traveled in fifty-three countries in my life, um, and China is the only country that's really, really, truly, completely different uh, from any other country uh, because it's uh, it's 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 grown. Uh, uh, so independently from from the rest of the world uh, as per its culture, even if you look at the language, uh, most countries in the world share common roots in the language, so Indo-european languages, even India uh, has the same root uh, but the chinese language is, is completely separate um, and uh, the culture you know there, there was no influence from uh, there is a very interesting uh um sentence in, in a book from blaise pascal who was a famous french philosopher uh in, in the 17th century in France um and I think the sentence went something like uh which who is more right Moses or China uh and that resets the scene that, that that's what those are the two key uh uh systems basically there there is Moses and everything that stemmed from that, like all the uh, Abrahamic religions uh, that, that's, that 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 form the basis of all civilization, uh, and you know, Muslim civilizations and so on and so forth, and China, which is totally different. Um, so, so I think people try to understand China too much from uh, Western mindsets. But uh they don't comprehend the the depth of uh of the difference uh in, in the way of thinking on everything, even even things that are so basic, like uh uh the difference between good and bad, for instance. Uh in, in, in Chinese culture, that's not the way that they see it. It's yin and yang, where it's things are not good or bad. The uh the goal is to is to reach a balance, a, a harmony be, between things, where there is a bit of yin in the yang, a bit of yang in the yin, and um, you try to to achieve harmony and balance instead of striving towards extreme good and on, on seeing everything that's not good as 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 bad. Uh, so, if I had something to say about China, that would be it. Uh, uh, try to you know. Be humble in the fact that uh, there is so much you don't understand I'm really trying to understand China uh, takes years uh, to a westerner because you, you need to relearn everything about uh about what you've been told the most basic assumption the way your brain is is way out since your your childhood because it is such a different culture
0: I also wanted to know what you say to people who I hear this quite frequently. People are like, well, China wants to dominate the world. Um, If we're up to them, we'd all be uh, living under their system. Uh, You hear this from people who are not idiotic. I mean, maybe definitionally you could say they're idiotic because they think that. But it, it shocks me how much people who fancy themselves as smart will say stuff like that.
1: Yes, and um, I think maybe also part of the blame can be put on, on the Chinese for that because if, if there is one thing that the Chinese, uh, contrary to many assumptions, many claims of malign Chinese influence and so on, the Chinese are actually terribly bad at, uh, at propaganda. I, I, explaining what they're about, it's uh, it's very shocking how bad they are But telling the China story to, uh, to the world. Uh, so it's... It, you actually have, you're only ever exposed to one side of the conversation. The Chinese side of the conversation is literally inaudible to, uh, to the world because they, they tell it in such, uh, in such a way that n- no one listens to them, basically. Uh, so so when, when you only have one side of the conversation, it's, it's very, very hard for people, even when meaning people, uh, to understand China because they only have that they only are very exposed to uh, uh, to that uh, on, on really understanding the Chinese side actually it takes going to China spending years there to try to comprehend the culture mingling with Chinese people and so on no one does that uh, I mean very few sure people have the time to do that so so yeah I think that's uh, that's the key issue
0: and anything else um, that you want to share with us? Anything that pe- you think that pe- people should know?
1: Uh, I mean, there, there, there are many things that, that people should uh, should know about China. I guess uh, my big message would be uh, like: be humble. Uh, don't don't believe everything uh, you you read uh, from the uh, uh, you know at, at face value. Uh, try to take a step back. Maybe try to read Chinese sources. Uh, try to understand that you know simply the Chinese people are human beings uh, like like everyone else. They deserve development. They uh, they uh, they actually like their government. Uh, and um, yeah, that that's uh, so so. Yeah, try to. Uh, uh be a bit more be a bit more humble i guess that that's the big message
0: great well thank you so much for joining and would love to have you back on give us more updates thank
1: you thank you so much
0: thank you okay everyone if you haven't already please do give a thumbs up because this is a great chat we want to make sure people can hear it and see it also make sure that you uh if you're not already a patreon subscriber Please become Patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. By the way, I meant to say this when Arno was still on, but Adrian Zenz wrote the book Worthy to Escape, Why All Believers Will Not Be Raptured Before the Tribulation, which is about, uh, there's some view of the rapture, which I think is weird, a weird thing to do. Like, I mean, I, everyone can believe in what they want, but I just think it's a weird area of scholarship for people to be doing. I mean, theology is fine and religion is fine. I just think it just, I'm not going to get my social science analysis from someone who focuses on the rapture. That's what I'll say. But he's the source for many people, which is interesting and problematic. So we are going to bring on our next guest. And as Brad says, please remember, hit the like button, share and subscribe. And our next guest is coming back to the Katie Halper Show. We're so excited to have him back on. He's the author of a great book that I really recommend called A Backpack a Bear and Eight Crates of Vodka. He also writes for places like the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, CNN, the Boston Globe. He's appeared on MSNBC, NPR, ABC Radio. And he has yet another great article at The Nation And that article says before Russia invaded Ukraine, these fighters were neo-Nazis. They still are. It's called the Western media is whitewashing the Azov Battalion. Before Russia invaded Ukraine, these fighters were neo-Nazis. They still are. So, Lev, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Thank you so much for joining. Let's start off with you telling people about where you're from. So people have a, a sense of your perspective on this.
2: I'm originally from the city of Kharkov, now called Kharkiv in Eastern Ukraine. That's the uh, giant industrial city, the second biggest city in Ukraine, that's uh, very close to Russia. Um, and it also happens to be a city that had a uh, neo-Nazi street gang called Patriot of Ukraine. And that street gang eventually formed a, um, a battalion, a paramilitary called the Azov Battalion, which in turn grew and grew and grew over the next seven years to become, um, a brigade in the armed forces of, Ukraine, in the military of Ukraine, in the national guard. And, um, I've reported on it for a long time and I've noticed that as soon as Russia invaded Ukraine, this was last, uh, February. So this is February, 2022, um. Shortly after February uh, or the winter of two thousand and twenty-two, Western media, which spent the past seven years talking about how Azov is neo-Nazi and how Azov reaches out to white supremacists across the world, how it recruits them, how it how it's uh, basically a hub of neo-Nazism, suddenly, uh, Western media just started reversing itself, and suddenly all of these groups uh, started saying that this 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 organization this. Organization of battle-hardened neo-Nazis had suddenly and magically stopped being neo-Nazi. They read
0: white fragility, I think. They did a sensitivity training, yeah.
2: Yes, we shipped crates and crates of white fragility to Kiev, and it worked. So, uh, this, and this is all happening at the same time, and this is what makes it so psychotic. This is happening at the same time when people are saying about how white supremacy is this existential threat to America and to the world. So at the very same time as we're seeing all of this, we're also saying, hey, this neo-Nazi paramilitary is suddenly not neo-Nazi anymore. And then, and this is by the time like September, October rolled around, we not only were whitewashing them, we went to celebrate them. So suddenly we started having these fascists in Congress, on MSNBC, in elite universities like Stanford. So in the space of just several months, We've gone from acknowledging their neo-Nazis to saying anybody who says this is really a a Russian puppet, to saying, you know what, these people are actually heroes.
0: And we actually have some images that you uh, sent over that we could show, I think would be interesting to look at. Yeah. And everyone, make sure you check out this article. Also, Lev had a great article we had him to talk on about, uh, that was at the New York Times, which is about Operation Paperclip and the kind of. Rehabilitation of lots of Nazis and war criminals who get things named after them, which is interesting. Okay, so, well, that's the article. So, actually, before we show the images, can you tell us what this is?
2: Yeah, this is the the piece that just came out in the nation. I'm deeply grateful for them to uh, for allowing me to have this. Uh, it also came out in print, and it's this. It's my story about how this is the Azov uh, group. And it's not just a battalion. It's, they call it the Azov Battalion, but by now it's a brigade. But this is this, the Azov group. This is its founder right there um, doing the salute. And Andrei Beletsky.
0: That's the one on the right side with the watch, the one whose watch we see, right? Watch band? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that's he, he was the leader of the neo-Nazi gang in Kharkiv that founded Azov. And, um, and what is that symbol? That symbol is called the Wolf's Angle. It is a neo-Nazi symbol. It is uh, the Wolf's Hook. Is several um, Third Reich divisions use that insignia? It is something that you popularly find on um, neo-Nazi websites, and this is something that Azov used and has continued using. Um, and uh, this is this is a unit in the National Guard of Ukraine. So this is a unit in the military that we are funding. And this is, that's using an outright neo-Nazi symbol.
0: Brad, can you go back to that article? Because there's another image in there that I wanted to ask about. And
2: this? Yeah, this is the Patriot of Ukraine. This is the neo-Nazi gang that formed Azov. As you can see, it clearly used the uh, Wolfsangle. Um, They claim that it's actually a letter N and a letter I. Uh, But I mean, that's also like, you know, you could say that, oh, this is in the swastika, it's two letters Zs juxtaposed on it it clearly is a wolf tangle um and this is uh, this is Andriy Biletsky this is the same guy at the podium that you saw just younger uh back when he was just leading this party and his his dream was to have Ukraine lead the world in the struggle against the jewish led untermenschen. and uh he's got his dream um purring along because uh, now he's been, you know, he's reached this. This was I mean, he was just been a local neo-Nazi gang leader, and Azov with the uh, patriot of Ukraine. Would have just been another, another gang, and instead now they're getting celebrated the highest quarters of power in Congress, uh, in American media, everywhere. So this mm-hmm. is a dream come true for for them.
0: And this this poster right here.
2: This is also just for uh, just from an initial old. Uh, poster from Patriot of Ukraine back when they would do their little the their Hitler youth type uh type marches uh but again this was back uh, there would have been nothing there would have just been another neo-nazi gang which is certainly dangerous but nothing uh nothing approaching the level of uh international uh groups that are now armed by the United States uh and that are more than anything that are celebrated. Which is, uh, which is also just a very, the, the message that this sends to neo-Nazis across the globe is, if you fight for us, uh, we'll hook you up. We'll not only turn a blind eye, we'll, we'll celebrate you. We'll make you heroes. You know, and this is including, um, I uh, want to say this, including also Facebook did this incredible. I mean, this is like, um, you know, the famous drill tweet where it's like, you know, you do not have to hand it to ISIS. Okay. It's Facebook had Azov listed as a hate group. Okay. It was, they banned their accounts across the board. They had all of their different organizations, the, the, the military wing, the street gang wing, everything was, was blocked on Facebook. Suddenly last year, Facebook announces that it's going to, it's going to, Azov remains on its banned groups list, but it will now allow praise of Azov provided that the praise is in the context of them fighting Russia. So these people, re- they acknowledge that Azov remains a hate group, but says that, you know what, there are times where you can there are times where they can be good guys. That's that's the message of this sense. The sense that there are valid reasons for praising neo-Nazis. That Certainly, there are bad reasons for pla- praising neo Nazis. That's why they remain on the hate gr- uh, group list. But there are certainly valid reasons. And eventually, Facebook decided to just simplify matters and they just removed them from, their, um, from the groups altogether. This is, like I said, this is Time Magazine from even the year before that, from 2021, I believe. Okay. This is the entire Western establishment understood that Azov was neo Nazis because they just kept growing and growing. When they first started covering it, people called me and my late, late mentor Stephen Cohen. They called, you know, they said they were Putin puppets, per se. But eventually, it just got to the point where they just got big enough to where they couldn't be ignored. And then suddenly, all of us, you know, they started fighting for us, and the entire Western media just started whitewashing them, just based on nothing, just based on, on lies, but easily disprovable lies.
0: You, I heard you on a, a podcast. I was listening to earlier today and you you talked about Michael McFaul, who who is the former ambassador to Russia. And he kind of did one of these like uh, not all Nazis kinds of statements.
2: Yeah. I mean, he said, you know, I'm concerned about Nazis is I'm concerned about Nazis in Ukraine. I'm concerned about Nazis in Russia. Uh, I'm concerned about Nazis everywhere. Which is, which is you hear that often from Western from Western spokesperson people, they'll say, you know, well, what about the Nazis in Russia? And Russia does use neo Nazis. Russia has an entire organization based on. That, okay, and my answer is what? I mean, that's like, what about them? I mean, the difference between the Russian neo Nazis and Azov is that the Russian neo Nazis armed are not being armed by the United States. They're not being celebrated in Congress. They're not being invited on MSNBC. That's the difference. So the, the issue is the fact that Putin uses neo-Nazis, of course he uses neo-Nazis. All that shows is that, hey, it's a dangerous thing in Russia, okay, and that Putin is absolutely uh, full of garbage when he says he's claiming to fight neo-Nazism. Yeah. The thing is, it's like anytime you're like, well, wh- which neo-Nazis could we do something about? The ones that are fighting for Putin or the ones that we are arming and we are celebrating or we are whitewashing? You know, it's like... Not all, you know, all neo-Nazis matter. I mean, that's a pretty weird, uh, you know, that's a pretty weird thing to say when there's one group that you can do something about that you're directly enabling versus, oh, what about this other group?
0: Also, it seems like, I mean, one of the things that I believe your late mentor Stephen Cohen said was that in order for Zelensky to not be pushed around by Neo Nazis, who again, their numbers, it's not a question of their numbers, it's a question of their, their, they have the guns and they have a lot of power in Ukraine. That there isn't, that, that doesn't, that is not the equivalent in Russia because uh, the relationship between Putin and his people is not the same thing as the relationship between Zelensky and his people, Putin and the, and the and Nazis versus Zelensky and Nazis. I mean, you had that footage of some neo Nazis basically threatening Zelensky. And so, what one of the things Stephen Cohen said is that if the United States wanted to fortify or strengthen Zelensky against neo Nazis, they really would have had to have had his back, in a way that they didn't.
2: Well, we always go everywhere we go. We use radicals, whether it's in Syria, whether it's Afghanistan and Osama bin Laden, and and it makes sense. I mean, the uh, these people are they're highly organized and they're not afraid to die and they're not afraid to kill. So it's it's. You know, unfortunately, uh, the odds of us not, you know, the odds of us doing something about them is, uh, given our history, is rather small. Uh, We love groups like that, and we use them all the time. You know, I just, I I can't help but get the feeling that if uh, this, if Bin Laden uh, in the 80s was today, the media would be celebrating him. They actually did. I mean, The Guardian actually did a story about the the warrior, uh, you know, fighting the Soviets. So we would be, we would be, he would be on Instagram. He would be, you know, we would be, we would be celebrating him just like we're celebrating us of now.
0: We also have some more images that you had sent me that we could look at.
2: Please. Yeah. Okay. So this is to set the background. Okay.
0: Oh, can I ask you a question? Is this a fair statement? Scottish Lion writes, Russian neo-Nazis aren't integrated into the Russian army and they are banned in Russia. Most Russian neo-Nazis got angry at Putin because he banned them from participating in politics. Is that a fair assessment?
2: What's your... I would say no, because uh, the Wagner Battalion, uh, you can say it's not part of the Russian army, but it really is part of the Russian army. I mean, it's they're serving as a paramilitary, but that's directly part of the Russian army. Russia certainly uses plenty of neo-Nazis. It's uh, that there are neo-Nazis on both sides of the conflict. I mean, that's just a, you know, and unfortunately that's the reality. And if we were arming the Russian neo-Nazis, then I would say that that would, should be the number one priority also. it's uh, Putin is, of course, disingenuous, uh, not to mention the fact that just because Ukraine has neo-Nazis doesn't give him a right to invade an inch of Ukrainian soil. But it's this, it's this duality of, Azov and Putin really need each other. They are bound together, okay? Because Putin uses Azov to defend the indefensible. Putin uses Azov to, as an excuse to invade a sovereign nation. Azov and its defenders use Putin to also defend the indefensible, which is that we should be lionizing and arming and whitewashing neo Nazis. So both sides use each other. You know, and the moment you, the moment you say anything about Azov, like, you know, we should support Ukraine, but not support the neo-Nazis in there, you immediately get accused of being a Kremlin puppet. So they, if Azov disappears tomorrow, Putin will be weeping. And if Putin disappears tomorrow, Azov will be weeping. They, they, they need each other and they use each other very effectively. Just like during the cold war the 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 hawkish parties of of America and washington they they loved each other. they used each other to get more money and more power and to and to pursue their agendas mm-hmm. So back to the photos okay, so this is this is the insane part. the Western media and I mean just just mainstream Western and Israeli media spent the spring of last year of twenty twenty two saying that Azov got rid of its Nazis, because they had to explain somehow of, you know, we spent years reporting that these people are neo-Nazis, and then suddenly they're not. What happened, okay? So they said, you know, Azov got rid of the original neo-Nazis. They they started as a small neo-Nazi group, but then they somehow saw the light, and they got rid of them. They got rid of them, okay? The battalion is now indistinguishable from any other groups. They Okay, so at the time, the Azov Brigade, which by that point has gone to the, to the side of the brigade, if you think that if you would be doing an article saying that there are no more neo-Nazis uh, in charge of Azov, the first thing you would do is find out who the hell is in charge of them, okay? And the person who was in charge of them at the time is this gentleman, Denis Prokopenko, okay? Here's our hero. Here's the person who's the commander of Azov, and articles mention him, okay? Here he is in the top left on the cover of the Black Sun, which is, you see that symbol above there? That is the same symbol used by the Buffalo shooter and the Chrysler. That's another very popular neo-Nazi sign. Okay. This is
0: the symbol used by the Buffalo shooter in New York state and the Chrysler shooter in New Zealand.
2: Yes, correct. And it's one of the most popular neo-Nazi symbols in the world. Okay. And there, and it also happens to be the name. This, it was also part of Azov's insignia. And it also happens to be the name of Azov's um, informal uh, or magazine. Okay, so this is him uh, interviewing for their magazine. There he is. Okay. Then um, Azov's original, uh, the original Azov battalion had a subgroup in it. Okay. And the group, you know, informally called themselves the Borodach Division, the Bearded Guy Division. Okay. And their insignia is that uh, it's a Tottenkopf, which is a, uh, again, one of the most popular neo Nazi signs in the world. Okay, it was originally used by um, the Nazi party um, in the um, the group that used the part of the SS that used to guard the concentration camps used it. Today became one today it is one of the most popular neo Nazi signs in the world. And so this uh, Prokopenko's group used uh, the Borodach. This is this is what they used, and it's a very specific style. It's not just any skull and crossbones. If you, I don't know if you can zoom in, uh, but there, it's a very specific style, and that is exactly what they did. All they did is they, they gave the skull a, a mustache and a beard. Okay, but overall, this is exact. This is the Totenkopf. This is one of the signs used by Nazi Germany, the the group that guarded the concentration camps. And this is on, and this is used by neo Nazis today. Okay, so this is who, this is what this guy is. This is what this guy is part of. Yeah, th- that's from the uh, ADL website that I just pulled up.
0: Anti Defamation
2: League. Okay. Yeah. So this is this is exactly. You can look down to the fissures on the skull, to the cracks of the bones. Okay, this is. Okay, so there he is. This is our hero. Okay, this is who is in charge of us over at the same time. Okay, at the time that they were saying there's no neo Nazis in Azov, here's a man who was with Azov at the very beginning of the battalion's founding. Okay? So we're talking about the most basic lapse of journalistic principles. Okay? And now moving right along. So before he was in Azov, uh, Prokopenko was part of the White Boys Club. And this is the soccer, the far right soccer hooligans, they call them. Okay? and they celebrated when he was awarded uh, a, a medal in Ukraine. So here, so this is where he came out of. This is where the guy who was commanding us over the time came out of, okay? This is the white boys club celebrating him. This is their logo. Um, down there is, uh, it's a Nazi eagle that it shows right there. It's just adapted for, with their symbol. If you scroll up a little bit, that says in their tribunals, it says 100% white. That's what that says in Ukrainian right there. Um, and then if you go up there, there's the White Boys 88, which is uh Hitler. Yep, and then the, and it uses the Celtic cross uh, in there. And so
0: 88 stands for Heil Hitler, right? Because it's the eighth letter of the alphabet.
2: Yep, and it's it's a very common. This is their Instagram page, and they're celebrating him, and they say, you know, uh, we are extraordinarily proud of him, who represents our bleachers, you know, because that the, the bleachers of the football of the soccer. Okay, this is where he came out of. So you would think that, you know, and oh, and by the way, the um, second in command at the time, his deputy, um, happens to also be not only a veteran of Azov, but also uh, part of the, of Patriot of Ukraine, which is the neo-Nazi group that formed Azov in the first place. Okay? So you would have these Jewish magazines and you would have American uh, magazines even including quoting him and saying that the neo-Nazis have left, you know, the neo-Nazis have left Azov. So we're talking about, like, you're a reporter, and you're covering, you, you're not even going to take two seconds to see who's the people who are in charge of it. I mean, as, as I wrote in my piece, there's a difference between, like, father of war and just willful blind. And the entire azov has been denazified story is just full of just utter, it, it almost gets hilarious. Like, they would they would have, an, the Times of London did an article saying that all the Nazis left Azov. And in it, there's a man with a shirt and Azov soldier with a shirt of a neo-Nazi band, of like a hardcore dream of killing Jews, neo-Nazi band wearing a shirt at the photograph illustrating how the neo-Nazis have left Azov.
0: Oh, has left Azov. I thought you said loved Azov. I'm like, no, that makes sense. Okay, they have left Azov, right?
2: There's a times of there's a Times of the London article saying Azov has changed, Azov has de radicalized, and the headline photo has an Azov soldier with a neo-Nazi t-shirt. Okay, like, I mean, you know, uh, Forbes did a piece and in the piece they said that the Azov Battalion stopped using that Wolfsangle sign, the neo-Nazi sign. The Wolfsangle is literally, and I went to the Wayback Machine, which chronicles websites. The Azov Battalion, it was the top sign on their website when you go there at the day that the Forbes article came out. So the day the Forbes article is claiming that they dropped the symbol, if you went to their website their official website it's there right at the top it's the symbol across all of their social media accounts it's it's a profile photo of all of their social media accounts i just it's it's difficult for me to understand how what it would take to just research and fact check such an article and publish it with such an obvious falsehood and that's the entire. I mean, you just read the story, and it's one after another. It's just, it's just ignoring and believing. It, it, it's just all they say is we have no neo Nazis. Okay, sounds great. Publish it. You know, so you have one more collage of this is this is astounding of the um, of the guy who was uh, celebrated across MSNBC in Congress. That's him. Okay, this is the this is the Azov delegation in Congress meeting with members of Congress and Senate. And there are several uh, several others of them. And then they went on to speak at Stanford University, where Michael McFaul, the former U.S. ambassador to Russia, uh, attended. And then if you go to the next one, this is the this is the insane one. This was uh, first published by Moss Robeson, who's a researcher on Twitter. Um, it would, he, no, he published it on Medium, and then he also tweeted this out. So if you could zoom in a little bit, okay? This is on the MSNBC on the bottom. Uh, okay, yeah here's here is Kozatsky he's the press officer of the Azov Brigade okay here he is meeting with Marcy Kaptur who is a member of Congress a representative from Ohio she's next to him okay and there he is grinning okay and if you look and if you look to if you scroll over a little bit, you'll see here he is on MSNBC being celebrated okay on with Andrea Mitchell on MSNBC okay at the time this was last fall okay? At the time this was happening, his Twitter was a Whitman sampler of neo-Nazism. Okay. So you could go like a white
0: man sampler, but I'm oh, sorry. can not help it, yeah.
2: Oh, totally. It's it's it'd be funny if it wasn't so scary. So here he is with a shirt, um right there with his with a lion. That shirt is a uh, the insignia of a Waffen SS of a Ukrainian division in these for the Third Reich. Uh, they fought for Nazi Germany. They weren't particularly good at fighting, but what they where they excelled was war crimes, uh, such as burning Polish villagers alive. And if you see the last the last several Nazis that have been kicked out of America, like a couple of them at least were were involved with that with that group, okay, with that division. So then there is our hero with uh, 1488 again, uh, 88 is uh, for Heil Hitler, 14 is for the 14 words of white supremacy. Uh, it's also, uh, you can look it up, but it's a very, very, very common white supremacy symbol. Okay. Then there he is liking Hitler, uh, liking uh, a tweet that congratulates for uh, Hitler's birthday uh, of, of the great Adolf Hitler. And then also at the very bottom there with the graffiti, it says death to kikes. Um, and there's a graffiti with SS. SS bolts. You can kind of see in there, but underneath it says death to kikes. OK,
0: Pikes, by the way, there's some people don't know that's a slur for Jews.
2: Yes, it's the N word for Jews. OK, so and um, and the, the and that's a tweet. OK, and this is just a tiny sample of what of what was there. And this is what was paraded around Congress, MSNBC and a Manhattan Film Festival. OK, now, I don't know if you remember, but a while ago, Matt Gates, Congressman Matt Gates got busted uh, with a far right, they say Holocaust denier, uh, bringing him to uh, the State of the Union, okay? And Gates said he didn't know anything about the guy's past, and okay. So a member of Congress brought uh, a Holocaust denier to the State of the Union, and that was deemed important enough to result in an entire letter from the Anti-Defamation League about how dangerous this is, about, about, about just, I mean, and if you bring somebody to Congress, that is a mark of honor, that is a, a tremendous privilege. You're putting your seal of approval on them, so as you know, it is very dangerous when you do that to somebody who's uh, who's a far right or Holocaust et etc. And you know, so what does it say when you have these people being hungers? And somehow, I didn't see uh, any complaints from Jewish organizations about this. This did not warrant an outcry. Uh, this did not warrant anything from the anti-Semitism task force in Congress. Um, -Semit uh, task force for combating anti-semitism uh this uh did not occasion uh alarm where so you're talking about you know uh a far right person from America versus people who are in a battle hardened veterans of a neo-nazi uh, organi- paramilitary that we're funding okay you're talking about somebody who's whose Twitter is just filled with hatred okay and he also had images of the KKK I mean just everything and we open up the doors to these people. These people are our friends. So it's just it's despicable to see and it's despicable to see the lack of reaction from the uh anti-Semitism watchdogs from the from the um from the people who, you know, from members of Congress and others who who say they're here to fight anti-Semitism. And then you see that this strange discrepancy. And it's um it's it's alarming, at least I think. It's it's You know, I think it's important to call out anti-Semitism wherever you see it.
0: And what did you think of that New York Times article, Nazi symbols on Ukraine's front lines highlight thorny issue of history?
2: Yeah, here's the New York Times did not one but three articles in the span of like a week, 10 days, okay, about neo-Nazis leading an incursion into Russia, uh, and then neo-Nazi symbols being uh, prolific. The most standout thing in that article was that a spokesman for the anti-defamation league uh, talked about um, there was a Ukrainian soldier who got caught with a patch and the patch had a totten the death head symbol, okay, a popular neo-Nazi symbol and the patch itself was for a far right band. Uh, The Southern Poverty Law Center uh, considers it hate music. Okay, so this is a band that was It's called Death in June. It was named after the Night of the Long Knives, which is a Nazi uh, event in which uh, the Nazi Party purged itself. It's a band that very much is problematic, to say the least. Okay, and the ADL. Let me just—I want to make sure I'm quoting them.
0: Yeah, I can show it. Hold on one second. Let me. me I want to make
2: sure you show exactly what they said.
0: Uh, You're talking about there in the in the Nazis thorny issue article, right? Okay, here we go. So the patch in the photograph sets the Tottenkopf atop a Ukrainian flag with the small number six below the, that that patch is the official merchandise of Death in June, a British neo folk band that the Southern Poverty Law Center has said produces hate speech that exploits themes and images of fascism and Nazism. The Anti Defamation League considers the Tottenkopf common hate symbol, but Jake Hyman, a spokesman for the group, said it was impossible to quote, make an inference about the wearer or the Ukrainian army, end quote, based on the patch. Quote, the image, while offensive, is that of a musical band, end quote, Mr. Hyman said.
2: Here's even better. The band now uses the photograph posted by the Ukrainian military to market the Totenkov patch. So this is when you see how this is real. This feeds anti-Semitism. This feeds hatred. Okay. When we when we okay this, they then take it and run with it. And the ADL has a long history of. Um, going after Spotify, for example, they they have attacked Spotify for um, being lax in um, spreading hate music and allowing hate music to proliferate. They have also gone after Amazon and others for, um, I mean, allowing Nazi merchandise and neo-Nazi merchandise um, for having very easy rules, one uh, to say, of just, I mean, you can get pretty much anything. And and I'm not just talking about like historical things, like a, like an actual history. You can just get Nazi patches, Nazi clothing, whatever you want. Okay. And the ADL has been at the forefront of just uh, of 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 making sure people know about this. They have a database and everything. So um, it's just I don't understand how you could say that. You know, um, it's just uh, you know it, we can't make we can't any make inference. an
0: inference about it. I know that's so embarrassing. We
2: can't make an inference from somebody who holds a who has a neo-Nazi symbol in your database and the neo-Nazi symbol is of a neo-Nazi band or a hate group band. You could say they're technically not neo-Nazis. they consider hate music. Okay. And all of a sudden, you know, we've made inferences because the ADL has been forward about, about calling out Spotify and calling out Amazon and calling out all these other people that, that do hate media. But suddenly for this, it's, it's very strange to suddenly be, so I would say open-minded, strangely open-minded about about this, and it's just you also see like the New York Times did three articles. Okay, here we go for Ukrainian for Ukraine military far right Russian volunteers make for worrisome allies. Article two. Uh, here we go. Anti-Kremlin uh, anti-Kremlin group involved in border raid is led by a neo-Nazi. And article three nazi symbols on ukraine's front lines highlight thorny issues in history the paper of record does three articles okay in the space of 10 days or so um about the army that we are arming and giving billions to including top-notch lethal weapons okay you would think that in general the jewish community would be up in arms about it you would think that I mean this is the same people who, any time Marjorie Taylor Greene sneezes, it's the second coming of Hitler. So you would think these people who can't sleep at night, or Corbyn, or 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 others. Okay, Roger Waters. Roger Waters. Okay, Roger Waters is a director. Thanks
0: again for listening to the Katie Helper Show. To hear the rest of that discussion, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Helper. Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordoba. See you next time.